<clears throat> okay, we are on the last one of our And God series tonight. Uh, next week, uh, at this time, will be a communion service. So we'll be having a communion service next week at this time slot. And then the week after that is the week before Old Fashioned Day. We'll be working our brains off, getting ready to go. The week after that is the week after Old Fashioned Day. We'll be home going, ah. All right. So, uh, the, we have, this is the last study in this series, the And God series, and then we go on uh, to communion, and then a couple weeks off on Tuesday. Okay, Book of Jonah is our uh, text for today. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, right? You all knew that. Uh, books of the uh, minor prophets. Jonah's considered one of those minor prophets. And it's a famous story, uh, but if we sit and think about it a little bit, I think it'll twist our mind a little bit, and we want to do that because there's some real good questions to ask ourselves as we're going through. So we start chapter 1 right there. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah rose up to flee into Tarsus from the presence of the Lord, went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarsus, so he paid the fare thereof, went down into it to go with them unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. So we're trying to make a map because this is a pretty uh, important uh, map. If we have the Mediterranean Sea here, and it comes around, and this is Asia Minor. Uh, Jerusalem would be there, although that has nothing to do with our story today. Uh, he mentions a city called Joppa, and Joppa is right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a port. And then he mentions another city way up here called Tarsus. Tarsus. And Tarsus is famous for being scholars. Bible scholars, Tarsus. Paul of Tarsus. Apostle Paul came from Tarsus. All right? So, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, there's two famous rivers up here. Uh, one's called the Tigris River. And one's called the Euphrates River. You've heard of the cradle of civilization. We used to learn those things in school. <laughs> I don't know if they do it anymore. Uh, but the Tigris River, uh, and on the Tigris River was a city called Nineveh. Nineveh. And Jonah says, got information, or God said to him, go to Nineveh. You want to preach to Nineveh. I want you to go to Nineveh. Now the interesting thing is, where was he when he got this information? And it doesn't tell us here, but we can figure it out if we turn back to 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14. And this is not a well-known little bit of information. It's interesting to bring it out, and I'll show you why in a minute. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 14. We're talking about a king named Jeroboam in the northern kingdom of Israel here. You know the kingdom was divided into two parts, Judah down here in the south, and then up north uh, was the kingdom of Israel. And we put the Dead Sea in here, the Jordan River, and the Sea of Galilee. All right. So, if you look at uh, 2 Kings 14, verse number 25. He restored the coast of Israel, talking about King Jeroboam. 
He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-hefer. There is Jonah. Suddenly shows up in the Bible outside of his own book, and we think it happened, this case happened after the book of Jonah happened. And so he's a prophet of the Lord, and God gave him things to say to this northern king. And it says he lived in a place called uh, Gath-Hefer. Gath-Hefer. And he said, well, I never heard of that. Well, nobody probably ever heard of it. All right. It's right there. Now you know where it is. Right? Now I'm going to help you know where it is better. Because right there is a little town called Nazareth. Oh, you ever heard of that one? Yeah. Three miles north of Nazareth is Gethhefer. All right. The only time it's going to be mentioned in the scripture is mentioned in one other place, so we know where it was. All right. And so Jonah lives right there. And if this map was a little more correct, Nineveh would be over here. So God said, here you are, go there, go to Nineveh. Oh, I'm going this way. So he goes down to this city here, Joppa, gets on a boat and sails for Tarsus. So he goes directly the opposite direction he's told to go. Go to Nineveh, I'm going to Nineveh, I'm going the opposite way. So he goes to Joppa, gets to Joppa. Gets on a boat, gonna sail away. All right, and so we have <coughs> we know where Jonah came from because it tells us where he lived and grew up. Now here's something that has a lot to do with this story. Look at John chapter seven. John chapter seven. Nicodemus, who was a friend of Jesus, you remember Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. They had a long discussion. He told them, you must be born again. Well, the big shots in Jerusalem are down on Jesus. They're saying, we got to get rid of this Jesus of Nazareth. And Nicodemus in verse 51 of John 7, Doth our law judge anyone before it hear him and know what he doeth? He's defending Jesus. They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look. For out of Galilee arises arises no prophet. Whoops. (laughs) So the religious big shots in Jerusalem, they say, Go ahead, you Nicodemus fella, you. Seeing as you like Galileans, look in the Bible. Never a prophet came from Galilee. Oh, yes, he did. Jonah was three miles away from where Jesus grew up. All right. So I want you to see that they're wrong. So what does that matter? Why do they say there's no prophet out of Galilee? Or as they think, Galilee's on the wrong side of the tracks. If you live in Galilee, you might as well live in East Shelby. All right? <laughs> Who lives there? All right? Uh, Galilee's on the wrong side of the tracks. Nothing good ever came out of Galilee. Jesus comes from Galilee. Therefore, because we know nothing good comes from Galilee, there's no prophets from Galilee, Jesus isn't any good. Came from Galilee. But we find out that they're wrong. They're wrong because Jonah came 
just a couple miles from where Jesus grew up. And so, why does that matter? Why don't they know that? Ah, think about that. Now I'm going to ask you a much harder question. I want you to answer this one. Back to Jonah. Verse 3 again. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And it says to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so Jonah says we're going to flee from God's presence. Is that possible? It says it twice there. Going to flee from the presence of the Lord. I thought Jonah was a prophet of God. But why does he think he's going to flee from the presence of the Lord? You all shook your head. No, now answer my question. Why does it say he's going to flee from the presence of the Lord? What? How does he have this idea that I can flee from God's presence? Well, of course, sin is what it is. But this is a very specific thing. Now, I want you to remember, he's told to go to Nineveh. Right? Now, Nineveh is this city up here. It is the capital of Assyria. Syria is a rising power in the world and will very soon become the world power. Uh, he's told, go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and preach. He says, no, I'm going to get away from God, so I'm going to get on a boat. I'm going to flee from God's presence. You all said that was not possible, Right? Why did he say that's what he's doing? <laughs> All right, well, let's go and think a little bit, see what happens. Verse 4. The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. There was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. So you get a big storm at sea. We're going to have a shipwreck. When the mariners were afraid, they cried every man to his God, cast forth the wares that were in the, the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down to the sides of the sheep, ship, and there he lay, was fast asleep. <laughs> so, he's sleeping. Right? I want to know how he can sleep. He said he's going to run away from God. And now he's down there. He's out cold. All right. Now, let me ask you this. When you have a struggle in your conscience, do you sleep well? So I'm going to say he's sleeping. He's got no trouble from the thing called conscience. His conscience is at ease. Sleep. Let's get wild storm throwing around. <laughs> Sound asleep. So does he really think? He's free of God or not? Let's see. 
So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? <laughs> well, you're sleeping? Wake up, arise, call on thy God, be so that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Everyone to his fellow, Come, let's cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and a lot fell on Jonah. All right, so they're going to roll some dice or whatever they did, pick the short straw. And they said, somebody's got us in trouble. Let's find out who it is. And they said, Jew, the guy was sleeping down the bottom of the ship. You're the one that did it. So they said unto him, verse 8, Tell us, we pray thee, for what cause this evil is upon us? What is thy occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? They don't know. Those are really important questions. And he said unto them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Now, he says, well, God, my God, made this sea. They said, well, it's about to kill us. If your God made this sea, what in the world are you doing sleeping? If your God made the sea, good question. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said, and then what, is, what hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. <laughs> Say, Jonah, what did you do? I ran away from God. Getting away from God. So I got on your ship so that I could escape from God. And that's what I'm doing. That's why I'm here in the ship. Now there's something illogical, right? Something very illogical. Uh, it's illogical that you say God made the sea. But I'm going to escape from God's presence by getting on a boat. See, that's not logical. No, it's not. Verse 11. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. Said unto them, Take me up, cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, Listen to this carefully. The men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea was wrought and was tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried to the Lord, said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. They took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Oh, man, you, uh, you think the storm is bad, right? When all of a sudden you throw that man, hits the water, and the whole thing goes. Whew. Now the hair stand up on the back. <gasps> you kidding? And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. That's what you do when you mean business with God. You fear him exceedingly. You'll mess with God. All right? You can't mess with God. Don't do it. And offer a sacrifice unto the Lord and make a vow or a promise. These guys have got it together. They realize that God's not somebody to be trifled with. You can't trifle with God. And we need to offer a sacrifice. Thank Him we're alive. And we need to make a promise for the future. That's what a vow is, a promise. Promise isn't for the past. Promise is for the future. So these guys really got together. All right? Jonah says, throw me overboard. Question. Does he think he will die? How many people say yes? Two of us. How many people say no? I said two of us. I gave it away. Okay. Yeah, he thinks he's going to die. Why wouldn't he? Throw you into a tempestuous sea with raging waves. He doesn't know what's about to happen. Throw me into the sea. It's one step 
from suicide. If I get you to throw me overboard, then I didn't commit suicide. I didn't commit suicide. How does he think that he can flee from the presence of the Lord? Number one. Number two, why does he think you throw me overboard? I'm going to die. Hurry up and do it. Why does he want to die? He doesn't want to do what God says. Obviously, it's very clear, I'm not going to do what you said, which is sin right from the Garden of Eden and to every one of us and to all that we are, it's always in us that we're saying to God, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. That's just in us, all right? And Jonah said, I'm not going to do that. But something a little different about Jonah he didn't figure it out yet. Can't answer the question why he thought he could flee from the presence of God. And then why does he say throw me overboard? Thinking he's going to die. There's no question in his mind. He lives up just north of Nazareth. I don't think he's ever been on a boat before. All right. Not like, hey, I'm a, athlete, I'm a world-class swimmer. Throw me overboard. I can swim 10 miles or whatever he is over to the shore. No, he's not going to make it. That's what he thinks. Throw me overboard. It's okay. I'm okay with it. Throw me overboard. There's something going on in his mind that we can't quite see yet. Let's see what happens next. And you know the story. Chapter 2. Jonah prayed unto the Lord God out of the fish's belly. Now he's praying. <laughs> isn't, that us? isn't that us? We're okay. We'll do whatever we want to do. Now you're in serious trouble. Oh, God, help me. You bet he prayed out of the Lord out of the fish's belly. He says he's in there for three days and three nights. Here's what he said. I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou cast me into the deep. Now did God throw him into the sea? Well, I agree with that. Go on. And the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and waves passed over me, which is what he expected. They're gonna, I'm going to go drown and be down laying on the bottom of the sea. And I said, I'm cast out of thy sight. Yet will I look again towards thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. <laughs> so he wasn't getting up again. He's down there, and the weeds wrapped around his head. The sea is a very dangerous place. I spent a lot of time there as a young boy. Every morning, a warning from my mother, you do not go to that, that south shore into that water. Because there's an undertow that will pull you away. All right, I heard that. Sea's a dangerous place. He's now got weeds wrapped around his head. You think he's singing, hey, maybe I'll make it. He's going to die. Six, I went down to the bottom of the mountain. So he's down on the bottom. The earth with her bars was about me forever. I'm dead. Yet thou hast brought me up my life from corruption. Oh, Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, and some people think he died, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came unto thee, to thy holy temple. Now, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. That's it. That's answer to question number one, question number two, question number ten. All questions on Jonah. He just said it right there. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is the Lord. And the Lord spake to the fish and it vomited out Jonah on the dry land. <laughs> so God's in charge. 
of the fish in the sea, and this big whale swallowed him up, came up, puked him out three days and three nights later on the shore. All right, whales don't usually do that. Don't come up near the shore. You see whales? Some of you have been seeing whale watches and so forth. They're not up by the shore, okay? They're out somewhere. This one comes up the shore, blah! This thing's been giving me a gut ache. Get it out of here. And he pukes it out up on the shore. And there's lying Jonah on the shore. Chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise to go to Nineveh. Thy great city preached unto thee preaching that I bid thee. Here's us. And we're walking along life's road. And we come to this thing, and God said, I want you to do that then. I don't want to do that. Okay. <laughs> what happened? I almost drowned. I got seaweed around my head. I got swallowed for three days and three nights. I got spit up on this shore. Unbelievable experience, unique in the history of all of mankind. And now I'm laying on the shore, and God says, let's do that again, shall we? Listen, my friends, there's things that God asks us to do, and you come up and you won't do them. So we're going to go around, we're going to come up again. I want you to do it. I want you to do it. You're not going any farther till you do it. So God says, right? you can't ignore what God has instructed you to do and say, well, I'm not going to do that. No, 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 no. You do it. You do it. Now, why does he not want to do this? Because it's Nineveh. Everybody knows, and Jonah knows, too, that Nineveh is rising up to be the world power. Assyrians were a vicious group of people. What they liked to do best when they invaded a place, it was cut everybody's head off and make two piles outside the gates of the city. So you know the Assyrians would come when there's a pile of heads on this side of the gate, pile of heads on that side of the gate. Nice guys, right? These are tough hombres, nasty people. And they are gaining more and more and more and more power. How powerful are they? Well, let's take a look. Verse 3 of chapter 3. Jonah arose, went to Nineveh. All right, so he's somewhere on the shore here. I got to get over to Nineveh. It's a good walk. He's got quite a ways to go. He gets there. Verse 4. And now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So it takes him three days to go around Nineveh preaching. He's just talking, preaching as he goes. His message is simple, direct from God. Nineveh will be destroyed in forty days. And he just goes through, how big is this place? Well, it says it takes him three days just to walk through the city. So it's a pretty big place. Um, it is... supposed to be here. 18 miles long and 14 miles wide. Square city. Walls are 100 feet high. It's larger than the city of Babylon. So it's 64 miles around the outside of the city. It's a huge place. That's how it's coming to be the world power. It's a huge, huge city. So let's go back and answer the question. Why did he think he could flee from the presence of God? Number two, how come his conscience doesn't bother him and he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat? Jonah said this. I live in Israel. We are God's chosen people. Right? 
All of God's blessing is on us. The rest of the world is slime. The rest of the world are dogs and pigs. The rest of the world is nothing. Everything good from God comes to Israel. I'm an Israelite. I get it. I get all those things from God. The rest of the world is nothing. So if I want to flee from God's presence, I just leave Israel. Because God's nowhere else. God doesn't want anything to do with the rest of the world. Only blessing Israel. We are the blessed ones. Sound familiar? What they say of Jesus? He's from Galilee. He's no good. Nothing good ever came out of Galilee. All right. And all through the history of Israel, there were people who said, we're God's people. We're the chosen ones. We get all the blessings. And you guys out there don't get any. Nineveh is out there. So preach to Nineveh and ask him to repent. Why would I? They're not Jewish. I don't want to preach to these people. Matter of fact, they're climbing world power, and everybody knows that they're about to start a military campaign, and they're going to swallow the world, and they would. They would come out of Nineveh, across Asia Minor, all the way down to here, right up to the border. All right, they came right to Israel. They gathered around Jerusalem. You Bible scholars know what happened, right? We just talked about it two weeks ago. The armies of Assyria came and gathered around the city and God sent a plague and what was 170,000 soldiers died in one night. That was the Assyrian army. It came to Jerusalem and if God hadn't killed all the soldiers that night, they would have taken that. This is a very serious force to be reckoned with. And first of all, there's a good chance that they're going to attack Israel. So why would I want any of those people to repent? I don't want them to repent. I'm not going to preach to them to repent because I am Israel. I'm the chosen one, not them. I don't want them to repent. And if I'm going to escape from God, all i got to do is cross the border out of Israel and I'm free of God. There's only God blessing us. That's how he thinks and repeats three times in the text. I can just run away from God. How do you do it? Cross the border. And you all say, no, 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 that's not true. It's because you're Gentiles. (laughs) You're Gentiles. Jesus came along and said, when you preach, you can start in Jerusalem, then you're going to go to Samaria, half Jews, And then you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the world. And the Greeks came to see Jesus. He said, it's beginning. We're going to take it to the world. That was always the intention. And so the Apostle Paul says what? In Christ there is no what? Jew or Gentile. There's no such thing in Christ. So God looks down at the world and he says, let's see, there's America's borders. There's Canada's. He doesn't. He doesn't see anybody's borders. God doesn't look down and say, let me see, you know, what country is that? You think he cares about that? That's nothing to God. The countries, Isaiah said, are a drop in the bucket to God. The countries of this world, the nations of this world, said Isaiah, are like dust on a scale. You remember when I brought the scale out with the dust on it? It doesn't count. The nations don't count to God. Now, if you're Jewish and you think you are God's chosen people and nobody else, then the last thing you're going to do is preach to Nineveh. I'm not going there because those people, nah. Anyway, they're threatening us. They're going to threaten us. So he's, Jonah says it himself. Verse, chapter 2, verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. A lying vanity. Vain 
Vanity has different uh, definitions. Uh, sometimes vanity in the Bible means something that's useless. But vanity also means a person who is vain. Right? You know what it means to be vain? It means, <laughs> look at me. I'm better than you. I'm so much better than you. Carly Simon wrote the song, You're so vain, you probably think this song is about you. <laughs> You're so vain. All right, vain. So here's somebody who thinks they're really something. He said, It's a lying vanity. I thought being Jewish was the best I could be. I got everything I need from God, and I don't need to share it with those filthy heathens in Nineveh who are probably going to attack us in the future anyway. I'm not going to share it with them. I'm getting out of God's presence. All i got to do is cross the border out of Israel. He says, a lying vanity. I believe myself to be better than the rest of the world. And all of a sudden, now I know I'm not. I know that was a lie. There you go. He just told you why he believed he could get out of the presence of God. Because in this wonderful land where I live, in this beautiful place, I'm especially under God's care. We all think that, don't we? We all think that. Do we think we're better than anybody else? Don't be surprised that this stuff hasn't come down through the ages. I grew up in denominations. I was taught from five years old that our denomination was better than the rest. Over and over and over and over and over again. And then all I had to do was go some other place and they said, well, ours is better than yours. <laughs> the denominations grew up with that same kind of thinking. If we're Methodists, we're better than they. you are. If you're Alliance, that's how I grew up, we're better than everybody. We got the right doctrine. We do everything right. We got it figured out, so we're better than you. And denominationism grew up just in the same way that Jonah has in his mind that we're Israel. We're perfect. God's only going to bless us, so I don't need to go to Nineveh. Preach to a bunch of heathens. Now, here's the best part that I think. He doesn't want to go preach to heathens. So, so he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Why? There's no conscience. He doesn't feel anything in his conscience like he's doing something wrong. Because why would God? God said go preach. And then <laughs> must have made a mistake. And I'm not going to do it. Anyway, I'm not going to do it. So what, Why? And you know, he's down there sleeping because he doesn't think he's wrong. He thinks he's right. He thinks he can sleep in peace. And a sea captain shakes him and says, Pray you. I love what the, the men on the ship do. First thing, the storm comes, it's intense. There's the command every man, pray. Oh, I got my God, and he's a half fish. We'll pray to him. <laughs> Whatever he is, pray to your God. I want everybody praying. And they go down and wake up Jonah. How come you're not praying? They talk like Christians. Don't they? A lot more than Jonah does. Right? They say we're going to do everything we can to try and save ourselves. Throwing everything overboard. We're going to be praying to God to help us. All right, then finally they cast lots. And he says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. I'm Hebrew. What's your job, they ask him. I'm a prophet of God. So you can throw me overboard. Why does he want to get thrown overboard? Because he's going to sacrifice his life to preserve his nation, which is going to be attacked by Assyria. So I'm willing to sacrifice my life to save my nation. Throw me overboard. By all means, throw me overboard. I would love to be a martyr for my own people. Throw me overboard. 
And then all of a sudden, when he's in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, he says, I think my view of the world is maybe not just right. The vanity of us Jewish people is a lie. All right? And so God, help me. Get me out of here. So now he's up on the beach. Go preach to Nineveh. What do I preach? 40 days are going to destroy the place. You kidding? I love that sermon. I can't wait to preach that. So here he goes through the streets. They're going to destroy this place in 40 days. Nothing could make me happier. I'm Jewish. Destroying 40 days. And he goes through and he preaches. Now, something is true of Jonah. We'll think about it in a minute. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Proclaimed the fast. Put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. The whole city. The word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, laid his robe from him, covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He caused it to be proclaimed, published through the Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent, turn away from his fierce anger, that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do with them, and he did it not. So God said, I wanted you to repent. And see, here's a God knows, God knows that there is a day of repentance. There's a day that comes into people's lives when they are going to do business with God. He sent Jonah over there, and Jonah don't want to go. Preach a sermon of destruction. Gladly. I love to preach that sermon. He preaches that sermon all over, and these people repent. Even the king himself said, here's a new law for you today. And the laws of the Assyrians were such that if you don't obey, we cut your head off. Right? So you pray to God. I want everybody in this kingdom. We're down. You got it. We're praying to God. And God says, you know, I knew they would repent. I knew that the harvest was white. Just like Jesus said. He said, I looked down over Samaria by the woman at the well. I saw the harvest was white. They were ready to be reaped. And this nation, city... Huge city, 64 miles around. It was a major city in the whole world at that time. Was ready to repent. So God sends Jonah in. You tell them 40 days and they're done. It's fabulous success. The whole city repents. You think, wow, he should have been happy. Now, what do you think made it happen? Well, <clears throat> the general opinion, and I think this is true, I don't doubt this. Is that when Jonah come up on the shore, he did not look like Jonah that went over the side of the boat. He's been digesting for three days in the belly of the whale. What that would do is it would turn all your hair white and then it would fall out, most likely. So anything it would bleach you. It would also bleach your skin, or probably the correct word is burn it. All right? <laughs> so there's a guy walking into Nineveh. He's all white. White from burns. Hair's all gone. Comes in, he says, God said, look <laughs> that guy. What happened to him? Who's he? Well, I don't know, but he looks kind of strange. You bet he looks strange. So they say, hey, what happened to you? I mean, well, I was inside of a whale for three days. You were? Yeah. Spit me up on the shore. Here I am. This guy, if he's alive after that, then this God must be real. 
we better repent. So the whole city repents. It's fabulous. And so it's, a, it's an amazing thing that one man does three days walking through a huge city, 64 miles around, preaching one sentence sermon, 40 days, God's going to wipe you off the face of the earth. <coughs> and they repented. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1, but displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. I said to God, they were going to be destroyed. And now you let him off? See, he knew that he was in the belly of the whale because of lying vanity. He said, I'm here because of lying vanity. I thought I was something. And that if I was Jewish, I was all set. And then I was ready to die for my country so that Nineveh didn't repent. All right. Ready to die for my country so Nineveh doesn't repent. And I thought that we're so wonderful. And uh, God must have proved that to be false. Because I couldn't escape from God's presence. He was in the belly of the whale with me. I was praying to him in the belly of the whale. So I must have been wrong. But I still hate these people from Nineveh. I hate them. It's really hard. If you've been taught since you were... He hired a grasshopper that everything you believe is right. It's really hard to suddenly come up and say, well, it's not, maybe it's not right. Maybe it's not right. And one of the most transforming times in my life was when I was started Bible studies. And I taught a lot of Bible studies before I came to do this. And uh, I used to do, for every Bible study, uh, five-minute story on some character out of history. So I start with that. So I had a book called The History of Christianity by Erdman. Held by the name of Erdman. I read that book and my eyes got open that wide. Because God had his people in the Catholic movement. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. God had his people in the Lutheran movement, in the Methodist movement, in this movement, and that movement, and the other movement. God had people all over the place because God doesn't look at borders, and God doesn't look at boundaries, and God doesn't look at the way you think. It's not how he views things. All right? And God picked people from all over, and I had to start thinking to myself what you've learned all your life, which was that your denomination was the one that had everything right. Maybe that wasn't true. Maybe that wasn't true. Maybe you need to change what you think. So I started in the Alliance Church. <laughs> and they said, will you teach us about missionaries? Sure, I will. So I went to uh, the first missionary to China, first missionary to India, and all over the world, and I told their stories. And finally they came up to me and said, we don't want to hear those stories. Hudson Taylor in China, and all these people with fabulous, wonderful stories. Uh, John Payton in the South Sea Islands, these missionaries, great stories. I said, we want to hear that. We want to hear about Alliance missionaries. I said, I'm sorry, they don't have any good stories. <laughs> Well, that didn't go over real well. But here's Jonah. Fabulous preaching campaign. The whole city repents. Billy Graham never had that happen. Matter of fact, go through the Bible, find me somebody else that had that happen. You can't find it. Here's the only man. In the history of the Bible, had one whole city repent, and it happened to have been the capital of the world just about at that time. So, he's mad. <laughs> this is, I think it's very amusing. He prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled unto Tarsus, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. I knew you were a wonderful God, 
And the, that's why I didn't want to preach to Tarsus. <laughs> How's that for logic? Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. It's better for me to die than live. I'd rather be dead than be wrong. So kill me. You had your thing. I knew you were going to be nice. There you went. You're nice to these people in Nineveh. So kill me. I want to die. And God got a question. Verse 4. Lord, then said the Lord, dost thou well to be angry? You can ask that question of anybody that gets angry whenever. Is that a good thing for you to be angry? It's answered in the uh, book of James. Book of James after Hebrews is the book of James. James chapter 1. Verse 19. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. That's it. Jonah, is it good for you to be angry? The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Right. He's angry. How's he doing with that, Jonah? Is that a good thing? Well, he's not changed yet. Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city, sat in the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, sat under it in the shadow to see what would become of the city. <laughs> All right, so he's supposed to destroy in 40 days. So I'm going out there and wait 40 days till it's destroyed. Now, think about the guy because he's been burned. He's been digested. All right? His hair's gone and whatever's left is pure white. And there he sits in the sun. So he made a booth. Well, I don't know. That's going to help a lot. He's got a little couple of sticks up and he's under the booth. And so he says, I'm sitting out here waiting for 40 days. I want this place burned. Is he learning? He said he believed the lying vanity that Jewish was special. All right, and he had to admit, well, I guess it's, I'm not special because God got to me out here in the sea where I thought I was going to escape God. But has he changed his mind about him? Not one bit. So God's got great sense of humor. Verse 6, the Lord God prepared a gourd, made it come up over Jonah that might be a shadow over his head, deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. So, so God make a uh, gourd grows. It grows overnight. That's been cool, right? Wake up in the morning and you got yourself a trellis over your head, all covered with green leaves. Oh, relief from the sun on my bleached out skin. Feels really good. Verse 7, God prepared a worm. And when the morning rose the next day, it smote the gourd that it withered. <laughs> he said... John, I want you, I'm going to teach you a little lesson. Blessing you. Covering you with a gourd. Oh, this is so good. And the next day it's dead. So, how do you like that? Verse 8. Came to pass when the sun did arise, God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die, and said, It's better for me to die than to live. There he goes again. I want to die. This is horrible. I want to die. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? <laughs> So you're mad about that gourd. Yes, I am. I'm really mad. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, Does thou well to be angry for you? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. 
Now, let's see what God says. He taught, taught him a lesson. Then said the Lord, Thou hast pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. You're all involved in this gourd. This gourd lives and you're happy, dies and you want to die. Jonah, I got a question for you. Verse 11, should not I spare Nineveh, a great city, where then are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle? Six score is six times 20, so it's 120,000 people that can't discern between their left and their right. Who's that? That's children. That's children. Children have to learn left and right. right? Who can't? Well, adults know left and right, not children. So there's 120,000 children in Nineveh, and you're sitting there waiting for to be destroyed, and you're mad about the gourd. Come on. What do I got to do to get through to you? That my mercy is for everybody, not just for you. And you won't be right until you get God's thinking inside of you. Say, well, I'm a prophet of God. God's thinking is mercy, forgiveness, wherever I can spread it. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He don't care if you're Jew, Gentile, man, woman. He goes down the list, slave, bond, or free, or whatever. Everybody. There's no borders when God looks down. He, he embraces everybody. He said, that city's got 120,000 children. And you want me to destroy it. What's the matter with you, Jonah? What's the matter with you? But it doesn't say what Jonah did. But I got the feeling that he went home and he still became a prophet because of what we read in 2 Kings where he came from uh, happened after this. Jonah's preaching extended this, the life of the city of Nineveh a hundred years. It lasted a hundred years longer because of Jonah's preaching. Well, that's a lot of mercy, isn't it? A lot of mercy. Right? Uh, depths of mercy, can there be? We think mercy still reserved for me. Can my God his wrath forbear and me the chief of sinners spare? Yeah, he can do it. He's got lots of mercy. So he says to Jonah, who's crying about the court, it's not just that you thought you could flee from my presence by crossing out of Israel. I mean, that's a really lying vanity. All right, that's a real lie that you believed. You thought you were special as long as you were in Israel. Cross the border and you're free. No. There's no place you can go that I'm not watching, and there is no people in this world either that I don't want to repent. And so we need to get you straightened out, Jonah, and quit whining about the gourd. I got 120,000 children in there I'm trying to save. 120,000. So there's Jonah and God. God fixed him pretty good. He had a head like a rock. Head like a rock. But being raised in a certain way, believing things that aren't true, really hard to change. Really hard to change. So there's Jonah. Jonah and God and the contest between them as God tries to straighten out his thinking. Really started crazy thinking he can run away from God. Repeating it over and over again. I'm going to get away from God, get away from God. Telling the sailors on the boat. They acted more like believers than he did. 
right? They extended mercy to him. They woke him up and said, pray. They tried to save his life. And he said, throw me overboard. And they said, no, we're going to try to save you. Right? They acted more like Christians than he did. Like believers in God than he did. And they were definitely heathens. As the Bible says they were. Right? So, comes over to Nineveh, who he thinks is a whole big city of heathens. And they're praying in sackcloth and ash, begging God for forgiveness and God gives it. Seems money like everybody's better at it than he is. <laughs> like if you're preaching God's message, you gotta get some of God in you. And the forgiveness of God and the generosity of God and the easy way that God is gotta be a part of who we are. Right. And so, dost thou well to be angry? No. Jonah, no. we got to get you a little more God inside of you so that you can do the right thing. All right, that's the last one in this series. Jonah, next week, communion. Thank you.